0: Sometimes we as a church can miss very important days and so for the last couple of years we've been very very careful to make sure that Memorial Day is not a day that we kind of gloss over but it's really a day that we don't just say hey let's take the week off from church and let's have a cookout but let's really see what the scriptures have to say that really can make this an important day of remembrance. So. For the last couple of years, we've made sure to really take time to ask various questions. And today, we're going to look at crises and what it means to have a crisis-prepared life. And which is so timely when we think of this weekend, we're going to have an opportunity. Maybe you yesterday went to a cemetery and you saw a number of what? You saw flags all over the place. Those flags aren't there randomly. What are those flags there for? They're for fallen service members. They're for veterans who have passed away. I was with my two-year-old, Henry. We have the weekend together. It's a dad and son weekend. And we were with my mom and we were getting the family plots ready. There's apparently three of them now. We always thought there were two. We found a third one. We were getting them ready and we just had an opportunity to see all these different flags. And he's two years old, Henry is, so he had all sorts of ability to notice things. And he was pointing and he was seeing that there was these different medallions that meant different things. We have a time to reflect and to look at that, but we see that in the context of that is a crisis that was experienced. And so we really say, what is the intersection between my life, between my faith, and between crises? And so what better place to turn than two places? Number one, the book of Job, which if you're going through the Bible with us, we are going from January 1st all the way to the end of the year, literally going Genesis to Revelation. So you'll see right now we're sort of in the middle. If you open up your Bible, you'll see we're roughly in the middle. We're in the book of Job. Really fun, enlightening, uh, really happy book, right? Really makes us just like, it's like watching the Trolls movie. It's just so carefree and I, I can feel it. Right, okay, but a now classic 1991 study, which I really love. Uh, where are my nerds at? Let's, let's, where are my nerds at? Okay, so I love reading studies. I've told you this. We won't go into the weeds on that. I love this. This study is really classic, and it looked at crises, and it, it said basically in the early 90s that the problem was is that not enough work had been done preparing for crises. And what I love about that, they were talking about, this is USC that did the study, they were talking about businesses primarily, but let's be honest in our life. Do we live crisis prepared? Do we live saying, hey, you know, if something difficult comes, I'm ready for it. Who feels ready for a crisis today? Right. Right. That's the point. Hence the very helpful study. So really, it took crises and it put them into three categories. And these are really helpful, and we're going to throw them up on our screen. we got natural crises, we got normal crises, and we've got abnormal crises. What's the difference between these? Natural is just what it sounds like. It's from the world. A fire is a natural crisis, a flood, right? Someone who is a dearly loved family member of ours getting very old and passing away At a ripe old age of 92, that's a natural crisis. You with me? Then it it categorized normal crises, and these are human-led crises that are not malicious in nature. For example, you could say, okay, well, maybe that is a move. We have a family that is moving from New England down south. That is a crisis. It's not necessarily super good or bad. It changes things, therefore It's a crisis, but then we can have more negative crises here, too. Maybe if your company, which is a huge company, and it's nothing malicious, but it's doing a 5% layoff, and you lose your job, that is a normal crisis. It's not malicious. It's not like someone looked at you and said, hey, uh, I don't like you. You're gone. It's more, hey, this happens. It is human-inspired, but ultimately, I know it's not malicious. Then there is a third type of crisis, and this is what we really look at in Memorial Day. Abnormal, which are human-led and malicious in nature. So we think of, for example, in our greatest generation, they stood up against and they also reacted to the awful preemptive strike, which, which is horrible for our country, Of Pearl Harbor. Those were abnormal crises. And so now we have time this weekend to go to cemeteries and to be grateful for the sacrifice of servicemen and women. It's an abnormal crisis. And so this study said, hey, you can have two postures when you deal with this. Whether it's natural, whether it's normal, or whether it's abnormal, there's two different ways you can react to it. Here's the the not good one. You can be crisis-prone. When the storm comes, I have to scramble because I haven't really put in all the work to be ready for it. And this study started by looking at businesses, but this can be true in our lives. We can be reactive. Who who can be a very reactive person? You're not prepared, and something happens, and you're like, and and you dodge. Maybe you love The Matrix, and you say, I'm going to be like Neo, and I'm going to slowly dodge. But regardless, we're reactive, and we're not prepared for the crisis. The better posture, according to this study, and you'll see scripture, is not being crisis prone, but being crisis prepared. And I'm going to invite us to have a, not only a crisis prepared faith, but a crisis prepared life, like Job will look at that, but this is being proactive. When the storm comes, I've done the work to be as ready as I can possibly be. Who feels ready for a storm? Okay, couple hands, love it, good. If you're not there yet, we're going to see how this incredibly uplifting and positive and fuzzy um, story of Job, right, it's not, this, how this story is actually wonderful because it informs a crisis-prepared mindset. Let's look at the two different crises and let's really boil them down. If I'm crisis-prone, that crisis is going to take me out. Going to wreck me and it's going to affect my marriage. It's going to affect my parenting. It's going to affect my faith. It's going to affect my mental health. If I'm crisis prepared, it's not that the crisis won't bother me, but with God's help, what will happen is that I will get through the crisis. And so we're not promising you that if you're going to be crisis prepared, that means there's going to be no crises because you look in the text and we're going to see it's not that Job doesn't have a crisis. He actually is crisis-prepared. He has the right sort of focus. But it leads to a problem. Because the whole fact that we have to talk about crises in general is this problem. Crises, suffering, and evil all exist in our world. There would be no reason to have Memorial Day if this wasn't the case. If there weren't wars, we wouldn't have to have Memorial Day. Memorial Day originally comes from Decorating Day, if you're familiar with the history of Memorial Day. But there would be no need to decorate gravestones of fallen service members if there weren't wars for us to lose service members. Can we agree? And you see it in your marriage. We see it in our parenting. We see it in our workplace. We see it in our schools. We see it if we go to Market Basket to the grocery store. Crises, suffering, and evil exist in our world. Are we aware of this? Now... I've promised my small group that we would do something about the problem of evil. So small group, promise delivered. Here it is. So we're going to look at a theological idea really briefly. It's called theodicy. Wow, big word, David. What's a theodicy? We're going to say it in three, two, theodicy. We're going to go three, two, one. We'll say it together. Three, two, one, theodicy. What in the world is that, David? That is, if there's a problem of evil, why a perfect, just God allows evil in our world. Who's wondered this? We all have. This is the big This is the big thing, right? This is the big thing. One of the reasons people even have a pastor or a church is because of this question, why I want to make sense of it. The meaning of life often is tied to, I want to know the meaning of life because evil exists. I want to know e- the meaning of life because things don't make sense. So what is the meaning? This is one of the major reasons why people turn to the church and turn to faith as we grapple with this. Here's the problem of evil. Ultimately, it's this. A perfectly powerful being can prevent all evil. We agree. A perfectly good being, we assume, will prevent evil as far as possible. We believe that God is perfectly powerful and good. Do you agree? We agree. But if a perfectly powerful and good God exists, we would assume there would be no evil. However, there is evil in the world. So we have to say, okay, huh, I don't get it. Who doesn't get it? The best theologians ever agree with you. Has anyone ever told you, hey, bad stuff happens in your life because of blank? Hey, this is all because of blank, and they gave you a really simplistic answer. Who's ever gotten a really simplistic answer on this? I'm so sorry, that's not helpful. So I'll give you really quickly a whole bunch, but then I want to add something theological to it, which is there is a certain amount of we don't know. As long as we're in earth and as long as we are here, we can have faith-seeking understanding. This is a posture that we come into worship and we say, I'm here because I have faith. Who agrees? I want to understand, but I don't. And so, we can look at this. Here here are some possible theodicies. Why a perfect, just God allows evil in our world. Maybe it's because we have free will and we're in a fallen world. Maybe it's because suffering leads humans away from self-centeredness. In Memorial Day, this is really important. Think about this. We have this awful, evil thing of Hitler and the Nazis. And that takes a bunch of people and leads them away from self-centeredness. And now they're working together for the forces of good, allied all over the world, trying to stand up for good. So that could be a reason. There's some biblical basis on that. Suffering also can point humans to God. Again, we think in our time of Memorial Day, one of the things is they say there's no atheist in the foxhole. And so we do know the reality is when there is a crisis, a real existential threat, that does point people to say, hey, I don't have all the answers here. Hey, you know, this relativistic whatever, I don't know, there must be something more. That's a possible theodicy. Also, some good only exists in the context of evil. Courage is standing against evil. So... The reality is, is if anyone has ever given you a simplistic answer, it's not helpful. The greatest theologians do not have a simplistic answer for you. There's biblical basis for all of these kind of working together with the caveat of as long as we're on this earth, we should do the work to have some understanding, but we're never gonna know everything. Who feels a little relieved by that? It's a little relief. Now, I'm not saying be totally clueless. I'm not saying this is now your pass to close your Bible, never open it, to leave God alone, to never pray. No, as a church, we have a posture of faith-seeking understanding. So we do the through the Bible in a year. We do small group ministries. We have the difficult conversations about faith and these questions and theodicy and evil and all these things, but we acknowledge we should do the work. We'll never know everything while we are on earth. And so that leads us to a big idea. Here's our big idea it's that a crisis prepared life keeps the focus on God. We talked about how we can be crisis prone or crisis prepared. If I keep the focus on God, it's not that I'm not going to encounter the storm, the crisis, the evil, the difficult time. It's that it's not going to totally take me out. I'm going to get through it. And it's not that I'm going to get through it by myself, like self help. I'm going to get through it with God's help, keeping the focus on God. And so that brings us to the book of Job. Where are my Job scholars at? Who loves the book of Job? Okay, so I first read the book of Job at an obnoxiously young age. We'll go to our next slide. At an obnoxiously young age because I don't know why. My dad said it was the book that I should read last, so I think I read it first when I was like seven. (laughs) Um, So don't be David. Have a normal childhood regardless, you're going to see we're just going to do Job 1 today. I want to tell you something super important. I throw this little thing to make books of the Bible easy, so you'll see the structure of it. You start with his calamity of all the things that happens. There's all these interesting conversations that happen with friends, and then there's some clarity offered by this This guy that kind of comes in, who maybe is the author. We won't get into that. And then there's a wonderful conclusion where where God really brings vindication and salvation. It's really an amazing ending. We're going to stay in Job 1. And if you look in the first couple lines, you're going to see that we're going to get a character. His name is Job. And he lives in a place called Uz. And you're missing something. It doesn't give you his genealogy. Who's been going through the Bible with us this year? Who loves... If you read yourself or listen to our podcast, who loves hearing all of the genealogies for 20 minutes? Anybody love that? Okay. Here's a literary thing. You're going you're gonna to be scholars for a moment. This is helpful. A genealogy makes me think, wow, this is the point of this is it's very historical. So there's parts of the Bible that are very historical. This character is not introduced with a genealogy. Also, this book is not in the history section. It's in the wisdom section of the Bible. So that means we probably assume that this is a book where Job, maybe, maybe not historical, but certainly what we call an everyman character, which means every single one of us can identify with Job and learn a lot from him. And so we're going to look at focus today, and we're going to say if a crisis-prepared life keeps the focus on God, what did Job do? Where does that impact me? We're going to ask three questions. We're going to say, am I going to live for God or am I going to live for me? We're going to ask, am I going to be honest about my ignorance? And we're going to say, am I going to look to God or to today for my answers? And I want to clarify the two postures really quick. Posture number one is I can be crisis prone. Posture number two is I can be crisis-prepared. We're going to see that Job is crisis-prepared, and we're going to see what implications that has for our lives. So let's start with our first question. We're going to be in the Old Testament book of Job. We already read the story, so we're going to really kind of jump in various parts. We're going to start in verse 1. Here's what it says. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. See, no genealogy. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God. And stayed away from evil. Okay. This is the question I always get in small groups. Feared God. Who's tripped up by the phrase fear God? Raise your hand nice and high if you're uncomfortable with the idea of fear God. I don't want to fear God. I want to love God. I want to serve God. Okay, what does that mean? Someone say, David, what does that mean? Okay, good. Thank you so much for asking my biblical scholars. Now, fear God is because we're looking at an ancient culture which... They have to decide what is my perspective, what is the number one thing that I'm living under. So fear God, we can actually see this and say this is more the idea of a solid trust, a devout love, because when I fear God, I say God is my number one. God is my ultimate authority. This is the major problem the Israelite people have in the Old Testament. They don't really fear God. They forget God, and then they build these poles, and these little statues and they do the sacrifice and they forget God instead of fear God. So we can get tripped up on fear God, but just think of it in this: if I'm an old testament person, do I want to fear God or do I want to forget God? I want to fear God, okay? From us, we're gonna we're gonna define this as I'm gonna trust God. Can we agree to that? So we'll say that now. I love when the Bible is not a self-help book. Can we agree? But the Bible has some wonderful things that we can apply to our lives. Who knows what a rubric is? Okay, if you're a teacher, you know what a rubric is. And if you're a college student, you know what a rubric is. Everybody else, I'm so glad for you. You're so lucky. Rubrics are the worst. But there's a rubric in here. Does anybody see the rubric? There's a rubric for keeping your focus on God. Job does three things. He chooses integrity, he trusts God, and he avoids evil. A rubric means I have things that I'm looking for, and then I say, are they present or not? In my life, I can take Job's position, because Job has the focus on God. Job is crisis prepared. Job does these three things. He has integrity. What is integrity morally upright? Publicly and privately. That one's hard. It's so easy to have integrity in front of everybody, isn't it? I have integrity. Do that with me. Say, I have integrity. Okay? Right? That's easy to do. Publicly and privately. Okay, good. Trust God. Am I going to follow God's ways? Am I going to remember, Job doesn't forget God. He fears God for us. Trust God. God is my number one. And then avoid evil. This is so underrated and so important. There are certain things that are just not helpful. Job says, I'm not going to be weird about it. I'm not going to be judgy. I'm just going to stay away from those things. We know what those are in our lives. We know what those are. I invite you, apply this rubric to your life. I thought of various points in my life. I'm 33 right now. I thought of when I was 13, when I was 23, and when I was 33. When I was 13, I was a knuckleheaded teenager. Who remembers being a knuckleheaded teenager? Did I follow this rubric? Not very well. When I was 23, I was newly married. Who remembers being newly married? Hey, first year of marriage. Do we follow this rubric super well? Not very well. Hey, 33 years old, I'm a pastor. Do you think I follow this rubric well? Not as well as I would like, right? So what I invite us to say is this is not about salvation. This is about saying, keeping my focus on God. Am I going to follow this with the right focus, choose integrity? Trust God, avoid evil, because it leads us. Our two postures are crisis prone and crisis prepared. When I live for me, I'm crisis prone. When I live for God, when I have this kind of focus, I am crisis prepared. And again, it's not that I won't have issues. It's not that a crisis is going to not be a big deal to me. It's that it's not going to take me out. Who likes that idea? All right, let's keep going. So, there's our first question. Here's our second question. If I'm going to have my focus on God, if I'm going to say a crisis-prepared life keeps the focus on God, will I be honest about my ignorance? Oh, I just called you all ignorant. Oh, I just called me ignorant, too. When I grew up, my dad had a number one rule for me, and this rule will surprise you. The number one rule was when you do not know, do not make it up. Say, I don't know. My dad always said, I don't know is an answer. Now, something that we can do, whether we're 13, 23, 33, or 93, is we can make the mistake of not being honest about what we don't know. And what then do we do? We make things up. Who's really good at making things up? You don't have to put your hand up. But... (laughs) be honest. Well, i be honest about my ignorance. Now, you can say, David, I remember reading this text with you a few minutes ago, and I don't remember that in there. Well, sort of. So you have to look at this story from Job's perspective. Job never finds out about that whole weird middle section. Who thought the thing with God and Satan was kind of strange? It's kind of strange. You can put your hand up. Okay, the whole middle section where like Satan approaches God and God is like, Satan, where have you been? And Satan's like, I've been crawling around on the earth watching everything. And God's like, hey, look at Job, he's so amazing. And Satan's like, yeah, he's only amazing because he has wealth. And God says, that's not true. And Satan says, well, yeah, it is. Watch, I'll test him and he's going to curse you. And God says, let's give it a try. It's a weird section. Job never finds out about that. Job is completely ignorant to that. So what I want you to do this week is I want you to reread Job 1 without the middle section. I want you to read the first five verses, and then I want to read you to read from verse 13 to the end, because that's all Job sees. All Job sees is that he has a good life. How many kids does he have? Ten children. He has so many camels and so many animals. Who has that many animals at your house? You don't. He had more. He's like the richest guy, Okay. Then, things start happening. Remember, four messengers come and say, this happened, I'm the only one who survived. This happened, I'm the only one who survived. This happened, I'm the only one to survive. This happened, and what does Job do? We'll see that at the end. He praises God, he doesn't curse him. We'll talk about that. But Job doesn't know all the other stuff. And he doesn't, when he falls down on the ground, he doesn't say, hey God, um, before I get up, uh, will you give me all the answers? Whoever gra- grapples with the question of why. Why is a bottomless pit, my friends? We can have faith-seeking understanding. We can try to have some answers, but there's certain things we're never going to know. And if you think of it as you're digging a hole, if it's a bottomless pit, if I start digging right here and haven't called dig safe, what's going to happen? What might I hit? A gas line, what else? Water, water electricity. Sometimes just digging for the sake of digging is not helpful at all. It can be highly damaging. Why can be a bottomless pit? Sometimes this is the number one thing that people will ask pastors. They'll say, why did this happen? And you don't want me to say I don't know, but the truth is I don't know. There are certain times that we have the problem of evil. We do a really good job trying to do the work There's certain things we're never going to know as long as we're alive. And so, as you look at this, it says this for Job. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Again, we don't see everything else. We simply see Job is ignorant to this, and he's honest about it. He doesn't then later say, I know everything or I don't know everything. He just lives his life. Now, recently we lost a dear, wonderful Christian leader. Where are my Tim Keller superfans? Who loves Tim Keller? Dr. Tim Keller. Oh, there's not that many hands. That means we can do a book study in the fall. That's a great, excellent good. Okay, so Dr. Tim Keller is this wonderful pastor. He planted these churches, uh, first in New York City, and then it led to a whole church planning network. Really wonderful. And this illustration has nothing to do with him. It has to do with his favorite illustration. He loved... The Lord of the Rings. Who loves The Lord of the Rings? Okay. The Lord of the Rings. We're going to throw who is that? That is not from the movie. That's a little illustration of our friend, the hero of Lord of the Rings, not Frodo, not Bilbo, not Sam. it's Sam, right? Sam is the best character because there's this huge battle of good versus evil. There's this thing with the ring, there's this thing with the volcano. There's elves. But Sam's too busy gardening and he overhears things. He's short and has hairy feet and eats second breakfast. And he's not aware of everything, but he hears what's going on. And because he's heard, Frodo and others are concerned if they don't bring Sam with them, that he's going to start a panic in the Shire. And so what happens is they they pull him along and he calls the whole situation a nice pickle. Who's ever had a crisis in your life? What if we looked at it like Sam? A nice pickle we've landed ourselves in. A nice pickle. Now, he doesn't know everything going on. When they have the council of Elrond, he's not part of it. When they have all these other things that happen, Sam is just kind of honest about his ignorance. But what does he do? When Frodo loses all of his strength, Sam says, I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. And he picks him up, and they keep going. And he says, I'm going to keep doing this until I lose all my strength. That is really what we're saying. This is the model we want to try to live, that we want to say, I'm going to be honest about my ignorance. I'm going to keep the focus on God. Maybe my life is a pickle. I don't need to know all the details, I invite you, next time you sit and you're really bitter and grapple with why and it's a bottomless pit, I want you to remember the theological phrase of Sam. This is a pickle. Let's say this together. We're going to say this is a pickle in three, two, one. This is a pickle, okay? So the reality is, is that will I be honest about that ignorance? Because I'm crisis prone when I think that I know it all. When I think I, and we're going to throw this up on the screen, when I think I know it all, now I'm just opening myself up to get totally wrecked, totally wrecked by a crisis. But when I'm honest about my ignorance, it's not that the crisis is not going to happen, it's that it's not going to wreck me, and with God's help I can get through. And there's one final thing we'll look at. So if we're going to say that I'll be crisis prepared when I keep the focus on God, here's our final question then, will I look to God or to today for answers? Because it's so easy. Do you know what I mean with looking to today for the answers? We say, hey, it's 2023. There's, uh, we know more than we've ever known. And so uh, I'm not going to fear God. I'm going to forget God for a moment. And hmm, what about today is going to solve this? Hmm, where can I get my answers from? And when we do that, The problem is, is that we make the mistake that happened all through the Bible. They they look to today instead of God for answers. They said, hey, uh, God, we're going to forget about you and we're going to build these poles. And we're going to do these idols and these little statues. And we're going to do all these other things. But that's not what Job does. Let's look at what Job does instead. Job gets this horrible news. He has 10 children, wonderful household, family. He loses all of it. And here's what it says, verse 20. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Okay, what what on earth? Who's confused by that? Okay, in the ancient world, the way they mourned about stuff is they they would tear their clothes, put on sackcloth, and do ashes. So we're seeing Job is doing this mourning. He takes it a step farther. Look what he does. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground. What do we expect him to do? I know it says to worship. What do we expect him to do? he fell to the ground and cried. He fell to the ground and never got up. He fell to the ground and had a heart attack. He fell to the ground and died. He fell to the ground and cursed God. We don't see any of those. The author sets us up to think, wow, Job is going to do something really bad. He falls to the ground in this state of mourning and worships which is really weird and really countercultural because he's keeping the focus on God, he's being crisis-prepared, and so what you're seeing is now, instead of looking to today and saying, because his friends later on in the story are gonna say, well, obviously, Job, you're a really bad guy. Obviously, Job, you've done all the wrong stuff because you've brought this on yourself. There are times when things happen that don't make sense, and why is a bottomless pit And the truth is, is that if I look to today for the answers, I'm going to get myself in trouble. When I look to God and to Scripture and to the church, I've got a better shot of things being okay. Now, we have Memorial Day, and we think of walking through the cemetery and looking at all those flags. And imagine yourself that you were in those situations. There's a lot of questions. We see flags. But the flags there show that someone had a really difficult crisis they had to go through where they could have looked to today or God for answers. I think of, and this is an example we've used a lot in my family, when September 11th happened, not the celebration of remembering it later, but the actual day, my dad was a pastor in the middle of central Massachusetts, and... He was really hurt and confused. Who was hurt and angry and confused and shocked and sad? we remember that. Okay. Now, what he realized is that he needed to go to church. He was a pastor. But he looked and said, which church in town is offering a church service? It was a random night in the week. And the only church that had a service that night was the Catholic church. So he walked in. And we still, to this day, 20-plus years later, talk about what that message was. Because that priest had a very small gathering of people, and the title of his message was, You Can Count on the Church. When we don't know where to go, the church is the ecclesia, the called-out people of God. The church is a place to turn for answers. One way that we turn to God for answers is coming to the church. One way that we turn to God for answers is opening up the Bible. And so then, years later, when my family experienced a crisis when my wife's dad was dying of cancer and we were out for the hospice time in Ohio and we heard news that he passed away. We didn't really know what to do. It was morning and there wasn't anything to do. So what did we do? We followed this example and we went to church. We went to a big vineyard church in Columbus and in that church service, there were like three or four different illustrations all about losing dads and and dealing with the loss of a father figure and, and we went to an evening service and there was a young lady who talked and gave a testimony about coming to terms with losing her dad and relying on God. And my point is not that you're going to go to church and get the perfect thing every time because truthfully, the majority of church services I've been to in my life were extremely boring. Who can agree? you should still go. Sometimes I've heard people say things that didn't make sense at all, and that's what creeds are for. You literally have creeds because if they do heresy during the sermon, you read the creed at the end and you say, hey, we serve a perfect God, not a perfect pastor. He gets it wrong sometimes. Now, this makes me ask you this question. Where do you turn for answers? Because I'm crisis-prone when today gets my answers. If my dad was getting his answers on on, on 9-11 and just saying, well, obviously it's blank or blank or blank, no, he turned to God and said, okay, uh, I don't get this, but you've put churches in my community. I'm going to go and listen to one. In our own experience, we didn't sit and sulk at a kitchen table on a Sunday morning. We said, we're going to church. God will provide answers in time. When I look to God for answers, it's not that I'm going to get a silver bullet. It's that I'm going to have the opportunity to have the right focus. And so the question is, we said that really our big problem is that crisis, suffering, and evil all exist in the world. Our big idea was that we want to say a crisis prepared life keeps the focus on God. Well, what does Jesus have to say about it? Jesus talks about this directly. There's times that we don't get Jesus clearly weighing in on a topic he does. I want to throw this up because here's what Jesus says to answer all this. This is his answer. I've got a picture of a house on a foundation. Because in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says this. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is, like a, is wise, like a person who builds their house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind beats against that house, so crises, natural, normal, and abnormal. It won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. It keeps the focus on God. Anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish, like a person who builds house on sand. Like looking for answers today, right? Like looking to today for my answers. When the rain comes and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Because, and we'll throw our big idea up, A crisis-prepared, and we'll throw this on the screen, a crisis-prepared life keeps the focus on God. Now, I don't have more for you than that. The truth is, I don't have some really big, now amazing truth I'm going to drop on you. What I'm going to say is this. If your focus is on God, you're not going to avoid the crises. You're not going to have crises not be a big deal. You're going to get through them, and they're not going to wreck you. And they're not going to stop you. And so here's how we end each service. We invite the elders forward for a time of prayer as we sing our last song. So I'm going to invite the elders of our church forward. It's wonderful to see them. We're going to have them come down so they can make their way down. If you are simply feeling like your focus is not on God, we want to sing Greatest I Faithfulness. And during this last song, we want you to come down. It's not that there's a silver bullet. It's not that there's a magic fix it's sometimes it's really helpful to say God is not the focus of my life. I have salvation. I'm saved. I'm following him, but I'm getting a little fuzzy. I'm getting a little pulled away. And just coming and praying with someone saying, Lord, let's start today. It's not even that I'm rededicating my life. It's that, Lord, today I want you to be the focus of my life. Lord, Help me stop looking for today for the answers and all these other things and help me just start following. So we're gonna sing together Greatest I Faithfulness and I invite you to come down. We're gonna pray for you. We wanna pray for you. We wanna pray over you. We wanna pray God's blessing, favor, and let's sing together. Let's stand.